0: hello everyone welcome back to you hate to see it i'm adam i'm jeff and uh this week we are joined by a very special guest uh we have susan uh, am i pronouncing it right susan lanier linear linear uh so we have susan linear from uh she has been in a lot of 70s and 80s movies but most notably for the hills have eyes and uh so welcome to the show susan how you doing
1: I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? Oh,
0: you know, we're hanging in there. Uh, going off of, you were in The Hills Have Eyes. Um, what was it like working with uh, Wes Craven in his early days of becoming the icon that he is now?
1: Well, The uh, Hills Have Eyes was Wes Craven's second movie.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, so he uh, he already had... You know, he, he had been a, a school teacher prior to the first movie, uh, Last House on the Left. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was really kind. He, he was so sweet. And um, he had enough experience from the first movie to be very confident about making the second movie but he still had that school teacher personality that carried over into uh, how he treated people on Mm -hmm. the set. And not that he treated us like students by any means, but he just had a patience and a kindness that stands out with all the many directors I've worked with over the years as one of the coolest, you know, most respectful Mm -hmm. uh, directors I've worked with for actor's work.
0: I guess his uh his way of writing horror and uh did you ever see anything about him that would would kind of clue into yeah this guy has like some messed up kind of mind here to write some of these weird psychological things or was he just kind of the straight man like normal like
1: uh well I mean my opinion excuse me I have a little sinus thing um uh, he, my opinion is that everybody has a, a bit of a dark side, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, everybody's got the light and the dark. And in his writing, he let the darkness come out. Uh, just meeting him on the street, mm-hmm. um, uh, you would never imagine that he would write hor- horrific horror. Uh, at the time, it was uh, considered pretty terrifying and horrific. Mm-hmm. I, I'll. Uh, you know, I starred in the movie, so I, you know, ran across a lot of people who um said, Oh my god, I couldn't watch it. Or that 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 scene was so that rape scene was so terrifying. Um I, I no, I just couldn't watch it. It was it was it was much too much. It's lightweight compared to what they showed today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nothing. It's just, you know, it's uh, Disney, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Now, compared to uh, what they show now, but at the time, in in uh, regards to Wes's darkness, um, there was always a little twinkle behind those eyes, you know, there was always a little, I know, yeah. kind of, you know, it's always kind of a little secret. What I think, which is, I think, a really um, great trait for artists to have, mm-hmm. a, a certain mystique about them or a certain... Um, a secret that they might be carrying. And I'm sure that Wes uh, had that going on, particularly being able to do it, you know, doing the writing that he did then and going forward. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, yeah, I didn't, you know, you wouldn't go into uh, Target and meet Wes and go, oh, this is a very dark guy. (laughs) Nothing like that. I'd
0: Um, be surprised if I found him in a Target. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I will tell you, I, you know, as he went on and he became more successful even after our movie and uh, he I, I saw him all through the years. We never totally lost touch. There would be years when I wouldn't see him, but then we would have an event or screening and I'd be sitting with him and we'd be hanging out. He never lost his down to earth stuff going on. So I'm sure he probably did put a foot into Target once in a while. <laughs> maybe even walmart who knows <laughs>
0: uh going back a little bit to your points on like how horror back then is like disney stuff now um i think like and something that i mean even just based off of uh the last house on the left uh who we actually interviewed uh mark scheffler from that movie a while back and uh going into this movie um it might not be like the traditional horror but i feel like it really delves deep into more like the female aspect of horror meaning like just going through the rapes and the like even in last off on on the last like them making the girls like pee on each other and like the whole psychological stuff that goes on with women that terrifies so many just girls and women even still today and I know watching these movies with uh, my fiance like she gets terrified by these movies because that's a real thing that happens to people still and so how what was it like doing some of uh coming about some of these things portraying these tough challenges f- for a woman
1: well with my own character Brenda mm-hmm. um uh, I, I love the way uh West structured the character to grow from being a 16-year-old naive, shallow. Uh, you know, uh, we're gonna be French fries. You know, and and um, California. You know, boys and well, I can't remember the lines, but you know, uh, you know, she was so shallow, and then to have uh, be victimized, mm-hmm. and then to survive. You know, Brenda is actually. Probably the hero, um, Brenda and Bobby, are the heroes of it. But Brenda is victimized more than Bobby. She's been raped by two of these monsters, and so uh, for for her to survive it all, and then to be able to kill every all of them with Bobby mm-hmm. uh, and the dogs, and you know everybody. Uh, well, I think that's it. Uh, Uh, for us to survive it and for Brenda to be strong in that last scene where I come with the ax and I, you know, uh, get, get the guy at the end. Uh, I love the fact that Wes had enough respect for the characters that I wasn't just a victim, but it was a growing experience. And I went from shallow victim to survivor and strong person, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, uh, I thought that that was somewhat evolved, you know, a a lot of times in those days. And now I guess uh, women continue to just be victimized and that's it. And there's no, Mm -hmm. no uh, revenge or, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What was the process like of getting cast in that movie?
1: I had been John Travolta's girlfriend on Welcome Back, Cotter and had been making Name for myself in LA I had guest starred on uh I'd been a series regular on Tony Orlando and Dawn's uh doing stand-up comedy with George Carlin George Carlin and I were teamed up as a comedy team on that show a lot and um so I had already been working with you know Alice Cooper and Freddie Prince and um you know I had done a huge play in Hollywood where uh, I had at the Amundsen with Richard Chamberlain in Night of the Iguana with Raymond Massey and classical actors. And so the casting director knew about me. Um, Wes and Peter Locke, the producer, had seen me guest star um, on television. And so it wasn't really a, I didn't have to audition. Um, they just called me in to play the lead of Brenda And Wes and I did a short little improv, and they're on the spot. They told me that I had the part if I wanted it. My agent didn't want me to do it because horror was kind of a stigma in 1976. You know, um, I had a lot of classical theater training credits, and uh, I had done some really good television. And so my agent thought it would be a bad thing for me to do that But I wanted to star in a movie and I really liked Wes. And uh, so I just said, well, no, I really want to do this movie and did it. So, uh, and I have no regrets about that. I'm getting ready to do a horror convention, you know, in a few weeks. And, you know, it's like it, The Hills Have Eyes was life-changing in terms of my actual life. Not so, not as much on my career as my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. Career too, but um, so you know
0: that's- <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> and so you did a lot of uh like so and you mentioned this a little bit before you got the role in the hills have eyes um you did a lot of tv work and a lot of uh I would say like a few sitcom stuff and um so what was it like uh well what, what, what's kind of the difference i guess between doing some of these tv things that aren't horror doing drama or comedy or what have you and going to drop going into horror what are like the similarities and what are some of the differences uh besides the obvious ones
1: (laughs) well unlike unlike uh, um actresses who consider their themselves scream queens Mm -hmm. are you know exclusively horror i do not think of myself as in that way i started in comedy yeah uh, got my best credits in comedy. And so I, I will go do a horror movie. I have one coming out soon. I've done horror because I have that credit from the Hills Have Eyes, Mm -hmm. but, um, going from TV to film, it's, it's all a job and none of it is easy. It, we are, taught to make it look easy on uh, it's it looks easy but it's a lot of memorization it's a lot of focus and it's a lot of knowing what you're doing on the set and how to match your blocking and and things that people don't that you see it on tv and you don't know what goes into it so it's all the same to me i just love to work i love to work as an actor i've been an actress since I was 13. So I knew that's what I wanted to do at 13. And so I just, you know, I go from job to job. I'm up for a huge new television series. I, a few weeks ago, I did a a, um, podcast series called Exeter with Jean Triplehorn. I'm on that, playing the character of Bernice and she's just a Southern hick, you know, and (laughs) a serial. and she, she uh, is a serial killer, so you know I I just love to work, and I'm just one of those actors that keep working, and I do not, absolutely, uh, do not like to be tagged as just horror. Mm-hmm. I do I do enjoy because I play very off the wall characters many times, and uh, Brenda was not uh, a glamour, a glamorous actress. I don't think of myself as a. Um, you know, a glamor actor, you know, I'm, I'm, I like to play salty, uh, uh, dysfunctional characters, drunks and homeless people and, and, and hardcore people. And, you know, that's my preference. It's always more fun. So, so going from TV to film to me was from, I go from TV, film, theater, cabaret, and I'm always doing one of the other. Yeah. So it's all the same to me. Work is work and it's fun.
0: So where would you say, because I looked at your IMDB earlier and I'm looking at it now, you were in a couple episodes of Days of Our Lives. How, how was that compared to the rest of all those? Because I feel like soap operas are a whole different realm.
1: They really are. And that's a, a great statement. Um, uh, they're harder to do because they're only going to do one or two takes uh, because of the time frame, they have to get so much filmed every day because it is so structured. So the moment you get to the set, you park, you, they take you straight into makeup, they put on your makeup, then back to hair, then to wardrobe, you're on the set, there's no time really to think or wait or breathe because they have the actors coming in just in time to do all that and then to do your takes or your, your part and um and man you better have your lines memorized so so there's not a it's to me soaps are harder to do than any of it you know none of it's easy but but soaps to me are the hardest yeah so I
0: I always wondered because I remember my mom watching like soap operas growing up and like thinking about that as like since it comes a, a new episode like literally every single day I'm like how in the world would it be to just walk around the set and like is it just everyone chaotically scrambling like people reading scripts continuously over and over
1: uh you're exactly right you're cramming the whole time so while you're in makeup you've got your lines and, you know and uh you know it it a, a lot of people as they get older uh, their memories aren't quite as sharp I do all these exercises and things and I'm self-taping almost every day. And I try to memorize every word, even of the auditions uh, because it's, it's, it keeps the brain cells actively learning to memorize. If you let that muscle relax, there are a lot of actors my age and uh, generation that uh, the memory bank is, uh, you know, the cells aren't as active. And um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're cramming on the soap opera. My least favorite genre actually.
0: <laughs> i f- i feel like that's everyone's least favorite genre except like the 45 year old wa- moms that stay home like that's <laughs> yeah. the only people that have time to watch it yeah <laughs> and
1: you know um in the 70s and 80s uh soaps were huge uh they've canceled so many of them you know they're just not as popular as they were and um Days of Our Lives, which I've done, um, uh, has survived, but One Life to Live, and uh, I, I can't even remember all of them. That's one that sticks out in my mind. They were mostly shot in New York. Uh, there were a handful in LA, but a lot of the big soaps were were done in New York from their very earliest, you know, conception. And so those, uh, uh, most of them have been canceled. So it, it, you know, with times change and, and I think we all have to kind of change with it and, uh, maybe they'll come back. You never know, you know, everything's cyclical, but, um, I think that the internet and people are into Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and all this stuff. And I think that, people only have so much time during the day. So sitting there and watching an hour soap opera, you're right. It's not 45. I think the generation that still might be into that is 85, yeah. you
0: know? <laughs> yeah, I think, and how do how you see like the, this whole streaming landscape that we have now? Do you think that like, cable tv and the soap opera industry and like all these like abc's sitcoms and that do you think those are a dying breed because we have streaming now or do you think they're going to hold the test of time
1: well there are so many streaming our networks you know i think mm-hmm. abc nbc cbs is kind of like okay how many reality shows and how many game shows and how many uh, talent shows
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, are you going to put on, you know, yeah. that's all got to die out at some point. Those networks don't want to pay the money or maybe they don't have the budget of actually putting in the kind of money that Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and all these streaming networks are putting a lot of money into production value and hiring real actors. Mm -hmm. Real actors can't even work on the major networks anymore. I mean, I just auditioned for NCIS this week. And if I make it, then I'd be on another network show. But they don't, they're not budgeting uh, their content, like these streaming uh, platforms, which, uh, you know, I don't even know that a lot of people even watch television anymore. They're all streaming, so I think I think they're great because they put they're, they're well written. They're beautifully directed. The production quality is equal to going to a movie theater, and so Strange Things and uh, you know Westworld the, these are uh, Ozark these are wonderfully made projects, and I think networks are really suffering from being so greedy they went through this long time frame where you they just weren't hiring very many actors and when they do they want to pay you minimum wage you know um union wage of course but they you know they got so greedy that they started putting all this reality content and I don't know a lot of people that watch that
0: yeah I feel like reality content's just easier to do Anyway, so like it's cheap, it's cheap and easy, and you can make lots of money from it. Just- you can make
1: lots of money from it. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the talent, maybe they get $25, $100. I, I think a lot of people do it for free you know, if they're not the union, I would never, ever think of, do, I'm, you know, I, I write music and I do my cabaret show and I'm a musician and I would never do one of those shows unless they were paying me big bucks. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: So another thing I wanted to ask you about, um, back, back in the day you did a, the second of three pilots for three's company. And um, I tried reading up on uh, just the craziness of how, why there was three pilots of a TV show in the first place. Um, Because that's just weird, like just weird to me. Um, And there's not a whole lot about it. It's just like, yeah, they did it. So do you have any insight on to, how and why there was three pilot episodes for three's company and how you became a part of only the second pilot and didn't make it to the rest of the show.
1: The <clears throat> original Three's Company was done in London, in England. It was an English sitcom. And that was when all those British sitcoms were really, really popular. And it was very, very popular in England. So, uh, Fred Silverman, uh, who was the head of ABC, I think at the time, um, I, can't, I can't remember the network. It was ABC, I'm sure. Uh, and so I had, he had done one pilot with John. I don't think with Joyce, um, but maybe Joyce, I'm not sure. Anyway, they did one. And then they want the network wanted to recast the whole thing, except for John, and then um, and then and it was months and months. Maybe a year later, they they decided to do the the one the pilot I was involved in. But they had another girl that I was a girl at the time. They had another girl um, playing Chrissy, and I had just returned home. They had been in rehearsal for three or four days. And I had just gotten in from the desert, from shoot, shooting the hills have eyes, and they they decided that they wanted to replace her for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So I had lost four days of rehearsal. I was also known as a quick study. I, I, you know, I've always been great with memorization, and so I would replace people if people, you know, I, I, I was a, I was, you know, I had proven myself as a pro, you know, so. Um, the casting director that, so I was in the supermarket and my agent called and said, get over to ABC right now. And I said, I have dirt in my hair and I'm all messy and I smell and oh my God, you know, I, I've been on the road. And, and he goes, get over there right now. They're going to shower you, put it, put you in makeup, do your hair and wardrobe you. And, and I left my grocery, my grocery cart full of groceries at the Market Basket in Studio City that no longer exists. And I whipped my car down to ABC parked and they, I was like this uh, statue. I stood there like this. They showered me, makeup, hair. They had the lines on big cards that I could kind of look at the lines while they were doing whatever they were doing to me. I was like a mannequin. And, um, and then I went on the set And um, they had some cue cards, uh, you know, and uh, I did a big, one of the big Chrissy scenes. Now I I didn't have the part yet, this was my audition. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and they didn't have internet where you could uh, send the tape and Freddie Silverman was in New York. Mm -hmm. So they took a private jet blew my big tape, you know, they were in big boxes at that time, not little files, Flew the tape to New York, he looked at it in the middle of the night, New York time, you know, three hours earlier here. And uh, I got a call like at eight o'clock in the morning, get up, get showered, you got the part, we're negotiating it now just get dressed, you're going to do it. And so I was exhausted already, but I did all that. I was excited and I got over there and uh, I had to learn the lines in makeup and hair. And, you know, I don't know, you, you know, we did the taping about three days later. So I had about two days, of re- three days of rehearsal and then the taping. Mm-hmm. So I'd lost four days of rehearsal. And so uh, we did it in front of a live audience and people knew me from Welcome Back, Cotter, and I got a lot, a lot of laughs and a lot, a lot of questions and attention Mm -hmm. after the show. And I'm not sure what the issue was. Uh, You never know. Mm -hmm. And my agent had negotiated probably too much money uh, for me to do it. And uh, it wasn't a proven series in the United States yet. And it was either budget issues or I don't know. You never know why you're replaced, but you know um, actors have to have a very, very tough skin. And part of the game is rejection. Part of the game is huge success. And part of the game is huge, huge failure and rejection. And you've got to be able to go on that roller coaster without freaking out, you know, and only, you know, if, if, if you don't freak out, you'll have another hot, you know, high on the roller coaster. But if you freak out on the low, that's when a lot of people quit. I mean, yeah. it's just so. I mean, yeah. it's a huge show, and would I've loved to have done it? Yeah but maybe it wasn't meant to be. And other things opened up like my music career, which I've loved doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and you can be any age for that. You know, you can keep, I can sit at that piano and write songs until I keel over, you know what I mean? Until it's over. And so I wouldn't have done that career had I probably continued on Three's Company and Suzanne only lasted a season so you know it was pretty political too back then.
0: So then so now you've mentioned it going into your uh, music career how did you start going about doing that and to make any transition from being an actor to being a musician?
1: Well I, I've always been in love with all of the arts mm-hmm. and uh, when I was uh, a young girl uh, working in the theater and uh, whatever they, there's such a thing called a triple threat and that and we were taught as actors that you don't only act you learn to dance and sing sing mm-hmm. and dance or whatever order you want to put them in you've got to be a triple threat to be a, and my goal was not to come to LA it was to go to New York and and just do theater. I didn't mm-hmm. really um, I never thought about fame or money uh, that is not what motivated me uh, to go into acting. I didn't even think of those things I didn't even know if I'd ever even be if I'd ever get a professional role of any kind I just wanted to, to act and and along with that I'd been taught to dance I had gone to dancing school when I was three and I'd kept that up and then uh, I was always singing in the shower and I was singing in the high school musicals and then when i went to new york i studied voice and um i got in i was cast in hair on broadway and um then it seems like singing was involved in a lot of my projects so after i met my um now late husband delaney bramlett of delaney and bonnie and friends i um uh he, he was a very, very famous songwriter. He'd written Superstar and Let It Rain and, you know, he'd produced Eric Clapton. And so when we got together as a married couple, uh, our, at, at that time we weren't married, um, he would say, come on, help me write this song. And, and so I'd write, my strong suit was lyrics and his was music, but both, He's, he was a genius. And I fell in love, I've been in love with music my whole life. But he really, he was so great and better than any kind of music school you could ever go to. I mean, nobody, people studied with him. He taught mm-hmm. Eric Clapton how to sing. And, you know, Jimi Hendrix was in his band. and All those people, you know, I didn't meet Jimi Hendrix, but wonderful musicians were always at our house. And it was, we had a recording studio and everybody wanted to record there. So it was an amazing ride in the music business. Um, In the 80s, I started my own little country band just for fun, played at the Palomino in L.A., had a great reception and then started doing cabaret. And uh, I like to do a little comedy along the way to combine some of my career with my music. And so I write songs that are uh, profound for the day. You know, I have a song called uh, On the Way to Woodstock, which kind of tells you about my age age generation but um
0: you don't look a day over 29
1: (laughs) Thank thank you but i i just think music is so much fun the great thing about music is that you're not depending on a casting director or an agent or a manager to say yes you can go do this or yes you can go make this money or yes you got the job no you just I just put a band together and go, okay, this is what we're gonna do. And you have more control over your art and your life. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy either. You gotta keep, you know, booking yourself or getting somebody to book you. And um, are you just do it for pleasure? You know, right now, all of my acting voiceover, I do teach acting sometimes and, uh, and my music, it all kind of just, I do what I'm in the mood for. For. You know, prior to this um, a Zoom, I uh, just in, finished a writing cl- group, I'm in a writing group that's based in New York, LA, London, and it's some f- fine actors in that group that are all writing on projects. Uh, producers and directors, and um, it's a very exclusive group, and I'm writing a a, a memoir about living in New York in 1967 as a runaway, so uh, it's very dark, and uh, so, you know, I'm never bored with my creative endeavors. Mm -hmm.
0: Of all of the projects that you've worked on, be it uh, film, TV, theater, music, what is, what is, I would say, like, your top 3 things that you would tell someone like if they want to know like who you are as as a person or as an actress or or what have you what are the top 3 things projects of yours that you would tell people to go check out
1: well i guess my new stuff i mean <laughs> if you haven't seen those eyes, then you know uh it's old. You know, know, I like to think that um, I I think this new podcast I'm doing, um, it's about crime and stuff. I mean, that's worth checking out. I've got um, uh, some, I have two uh, CDs that are available on iTunes. Um, My first one was Swamp Cabaret. I have a new one I'm releasing called Allergic to Texas and uh, and then um, I have a couple of films coming out. So, you know, I, I guess I want people to look at my new stuff. You
0: know?
1: <laughs> Not <dead> yet.
0: <laughs> um, and also, is there any projects that you really, really wanted to work on? Any auditions that you did that you just for whatever reason didn't get that you really wanted?
1: Yeah, I really wanted that role on NCIS and I didn't get it. So,
0: so
1: that, that was a bummer. I'm just being honest, you know. Uh you can't you can't win them all and um people don't know this, but uh when a casting director releases a breakdown for characters, they can receive as many as 13,000 submissions for each role. Mhm not for the project for each role so I got to a callback level where the producers actually saw my audition and I got really close but no cigar but out of 13,000 and you know and you keep rising to the top um, that is pretty good and everybody's on a time schedule so it, it they cast things very quickly and mm-hmm. the producer wrote me and said um, you know you did a great job and um, we went in another direction, but we're going to write you something bigger. So that would be cool. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's part of the rejection part of it. You just got to let it roll off your back. Yeah.
0: About, I'm trying to even remember. I think it was about a year ago. I'm by all means, not an actor. I work in the film industry, but I'm a production assistant. I just do the simple things. I like to be on the set and work on that and testing my hands at writing and trying to get somewhere with that. But, um, There was, uh, I played hockey growing up and they were, I heard through the grapevine that they were casting a new like hockey, like a kid's hockey movie with like a bunch of teenagers. And um, when I fully shave, I look like I'm 12. So I was like, oh, I can definitely try and do this. And they wanted me to, uh, I got all the way to video auditions and like got got pretty far um, considering and Um, but yeah, I, I didn't get that. And when I was telling people like, yeah, I didn't get it. People were like, Oh, like, I'm really sorry. I'm like, I guess like, it's whatever. Like, I'm also (laughs) like at the time I was like, I'm a 24 year old trying to play an 18 year old. So I was like, I wasn't too heartbroken by that. (laughs) I was like, but like, I, people were, I, people were felt bad for me because I would, clean shaven which i never go clean shaven so i was clean shaven and i also because it's a hockey movie and all hockey players have really long hair so i'd been growing my hair out to make because they wanted everyone to have actual long hair for it so i had like this long hair and was clean shaven and people were like oh you did all that and you didn't even get the role i was like i guess that's just how it is i don't know (laughs) that's
1: just how it is you know um it's harder for girls than it is boys i I, but but what you just said was kind of uh, uh, informative to me about how I I think of women having to prepare more because we have to do our makeup and do our hair and figure out what to wear. And I haven't heard it from a male perspective, mm-hmm. I, you know, where I grew my hair and I shaved my beard. And But um, that is what actors have to do. You know, that's how we that's that that's our job to try to also look as close to the character as we can without being ridiculously over the top with it
0: you know um
1: but encouraging to you um 24 easily plays 18 on film Mm -hmm. so you weren't off base with the age I played 16 till I was 30 so (laughs) um uh that is true and and so it's it, being cast you don't know if the director or producer is uh, wanting to use their own kids are wanting to use their best friends are mm-hmm. their best friends kids are you know it, it's a, a who you know business as well oh, yeah. uh everything else and um, um you just you know people like to work with the people that they know yeah and um because because you're going to be on the set you're going to share time together so you it's hard to be a wallflower and stay at home you know mom or dog walker or something when the people that you need to meet you, you don't you never know where they're going to be or, or how you're going to network with them. yeah many times I prefer to stay home, you know um, It might be late, it might be cold, it might be winter, it might be dark and, it's, and the event might be in Hollywood, which is now you know pretty pretty edgy. Um, but I get dressed and go because it's who you know. Yeah. A lot of, you know, a lot of it's not. Well, I mean, you have to know your agent and your manager mm-hmm. and it's their job, but they've got to go out and, and hustle to get us in. So yeah. it's, it's a, when they say, I'd like to thank my team, well, they're not kidding. I mean, yeah. it's the team. And two things I did over COVID, uh, I, I did a project called Red Rooms. We just won today. Another um, uh, acting ensemble uh, piece with Brooke Lewis, Bellis, and um, um, I can't remember all the uh, um, but really good cast in Red Rooms. And uh, so look that up. It's going to be streamed soon. We did that in COVID. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm really good friends with Brooke Lewis Bellis, who's a wonderful actress and producer. And she just asked me to do the part. There was no audition. You know, will you play the center, senator? And I said, sure. So during COVID, we had to set it up. We, You know, I, I also had a career off and on as a photographer. So if, if I had not learned behind the camera, as much as I know in front of the camera, I think I'd be lost today because all of our auditions are self-taped. So we have to film. And I'm really alone. So I have to film it myself. I have to get a reader. I have to do the makeup, the hair, the wardrobe, film it, edit it, and then send it in on every single audition. I did four of this. And they're very time consuming. So I thank God I was a photographer because a a lot of women that are my age now, Mm
0: -hmm. they don't
1: know how to do any of that. And they haven't kept up with technology, which changes daily. And so they are not auditioning because they don't know how to do it. You know, but we filmed the whole thing in um, in this room and uh, over to my right. And uh, we filmed the whole thing. In a, in a corner of the room, it's very dark and horror, sort of, and, um, and, uh, you know, it's who you know, now that, that was where I started with all this, and then, um, and then I did a, another thing called Leave Quietly, which I think was a podcast thing, um, with Brooke as well, so, you know, uh, but she, through her being the producer, introduced me to new directors, directors that i'm sure i'll i'll work with again mm-hmm. i have a, a sitcom on hold called stripped with casper van, van deem and uh, uh i'm hoping that gets picked up I, I play a very funny woman named ida so you know we're waiting to see if that gets picked up that was a real fun shoot
0: yeah i totally i totally get the whole like that's who you know aspect of the industry like the I didn't well I got my first job like two weeks before uh COVID kicked in so that kind of screwed up a lot of plans and it's been trying to get back into the industry since basically but basically weirdly so my mom is a veterinarian and one of the people that she worked with boyfriends was a uh, like a second AD and so when they found out that I went got a film degree and stuff they were like oh like here I'll set up like a lunch with you too and I had lunch we spent like two hours with each other and he got me my first job and put me in contact with like four other people and then it's just cold calling and was able to get work that way and have done some cool things I like worked on the new Batman movie and wow. a few other things but again what, what city Chicago
1: oh okay okay yeah
0: yeah so i've done a i've done a little bit of stuff, but nothing too extreme, but it's all just I still get offers, but like i have a i just bought a house, so I have like a mortgage, so I have like a full time job that they will let me take time off with. but when they call you and say, Can you be free tomorrow and you go, i no. <laughs> no i cannot be free tomorrow i can be free next week does next week work no well i don't know what to tell you i'm sorry
1: that's what i tell my students that study with me my acting students is that because this week um oh i got an audition for beverly hills cops and my manager sent me the sides and they were due for the cast for casting to see The next morning, she sent me the script at eight o'clock at night. And it was due the next morning. So you're either in the game with a commitment, with a job that will allow you to do that. If you have a job outside of the business, Mm -hmm. that's how fast the turnaround and expectation. This is a big feature film.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a rather big part. Seven pages of a lot of dialogue. Yeah. I used a prompter on this one because even I was not going to be able to learn seven pages in a few hours being sent the script at eight o'clock at night I was tired already so you know I, it's impossible so I used a prompter on that but um, um, and they will allow you to read it sometimes but they don't like it and usually the one that's not reading it's going to get it but that's how short a notice it can often be yeah though I would I need to be doing my taxes, I need to be doing my workout at the gym there are a whole list of things I need to clean my house right now. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole list of things I could tell you I need to be doing those have to wait until yeah. you're work in. yeah people people think it's so easy and unless i love to tell the truth about it because they nobody has any idea it just looks so glamorous and easy to do and everybody thinks they can be an actor and unless you have a certain temperament it's impossible
0: yeah and unless you're raking in those robert downey jr bucks like it's just it's so hard
1: he i would did you see the val val kilmer documentary
0: Uh, Not yet. I want to.
1: It it was mind-boggling to me because even after he'd had a great deal of success, Mm -hmm. there were some roles coming up that Stanley Kubrick was directing. And he put himself on tape, just like we self-tape. He flew from LA to London, tracked down Stanley Kubrick, gave him the tape. I don't, I, I, I can't remember all the details from the documentary, but gave him the tape. He still did not get the job <laughs> and was devastated mm-hmm. about not getting the job. And so even with big stars, there is competition and work that goes into it. And all these actors now, like Amy Schumer and some of these other people are having, having to produce their exact not only at starring in them, executive producing them, mm-hmm. directing them, doing the backside of it, promoting them. It's 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 rough. It's yeah. rough. And just because they're names, assistants can only do so much. Yeah. You're still hands-on.
0: Yeah. And I guess, so my uh the final question I got for you is there a story or oh, uh that you wish people would ask you more about or ask you about at all that you don't get to tell that you think is worth telling.
1: A story. Well, my favorite story is how the Hills, my blessed and most beautiful story is how the Hills have eyes influenced my personal life, which was mm-hmm. that it was released in 1977 and um And, and it it was at the drive-in in LA and I, uh, my late husband had gone to see the Hills Have Eyes one night with his girlfriend and the very next night he was playing at the Starwood and one of my dear friend's husband was in his band and I didn't know him. Uh, Delaney Bramlett and so I uh, was invited to the Starwood to go hear him play and I had to shoot the next day and I went oh no I don't want to go here I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go and she said come on you're no fun anymore all you do is work and I went okay one set then we're out of there and it was a you know Hollywood was Hollywood then it was 77 Sunset Strip and Hollywood was happening and so uh, I said all right all right So we drove and one set we parked and went in and she went and she said, I've got to tell Daryl we're here. And I said, okay. So she goes up to the stage and Daryl we're here. And, and, um, and he was playing trumpet and he you know, he, he acknowledges it and Delaney sees me because the lights on me from the stage, I'm close to the stage. And he puts down his guitar and he comes over, he gets off the, he tells the band to keep playing. He comes over and gets in front of me and, and says to me, uh, What's your phone number? Uh, I saw you in a movie last night, and I said, oh, I, "I have a boyfriend." And he goes, "Oh, I don't care. I don't give a shit." He <laughs> said, "Give me your phone number. I'm going to marry you. I love the way you scream." And, <laughs> and I thought, "Oh God, this guy's crazy." And so, um, but I, he was persuasive. I gave him my phone number, and I was with him for 31 years. So. Yeah you know on and off we had a few breakups but you know it was like he was the love of my life and i would never have met him and he would never have paid attention to me had he not seen me at the drive-in the night before so you know it's like the hills have eyes changed my life personally in more ways than it did my career
0: Mm -hmm. thanks so much for uh telling us that story and thanks so much for coming on the show um Really appreciate it. Uh, this, do you have anything that you'd like to plug before we let you go?
1: Not really. I mean, look for Exeter and you can buy my CDs on um, iTunes and um, uh, I have uh, some uh, YouTube music videos you can check out if you want. Facebook. I, I, I have a spoof on Facebook, but Uh, Please follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I don't do too much TikTok yet, plan to get into that. Um, uh, But I'm on, you know, all the social medias. Uh, Some of it, most of it says Susan Lanier. Lanier. I did music sometimes under Suze Lanier Bramlett. Uh, So I kind of work under both names. I don't know why. My manager's not happy about that, but... (laughs) It, I, I, after you've lived this long you can kind of change your name a few times yeah. Delaney wanted me to add Bramlet you know so I did and except um, so for music I I do that but anyway um, Susan Lanier IMDB follow me right.
0: thanks so much for coming on uh, it was a lot of fun so thank you yeah, thanks
1: thanks I really enjoyed it yeah peace out <laughs>
0: Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. And a special thank you to our special guests for coming on the show. If you liked the episode, come tell us your thoughts and join the conversation over on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also share the episode and give us a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, it would be great if you helped us out by becoming a patron. On Patreon, you can get unedited video versions of most of our episodes. And you get some extra bonus content, such as the Taskmaster live streams that are no longer available for free out there in the universe. You have to get them on our Patreon. Also, we have our Goes to the Movies podcast, where Jeff watches movies for the very first time, because Jeff doesn't enjoy friendship and refuses to watch movies all the time. So yeah, that'd be great. Also, you can find us on TheMysticFaction.com. We are a part of that network now, and we are enjoying every second of it. All right, that's it for this week. Join us again next time wherever you hate to see it.